Do you recall a day where everything clicked into place, where the world seemed to move in perfect harmony and every task flowed effortlessly? Introducing you to London Nootropics, adaptogenic coffee blends, thoughtfully crafted to elevate and balance your day, delivering all the perks of your beloved coffee, plus the incredible benefits of adaptogens, which also help to dial down those less than loved side effects like jitters, anxiety, and that all too familiar crash. A premium mix of medicinal mushroom extracts and other potent adaptogens, each blend is targeted for a specific purpose depending on what you need. Flow enhances your mental clarity and focus. Zen is your go-to for stress, relief and balance. And Mojo offers that clean, natural energy lift. It's the synergy between caffeine and adaptogens that works wonders, allowing us to relish the caffeine buzz without the drawbacks, ensuring a smooth, sustained energy flow. My top pick is the Zen Blend. It's a lifesaver for those of us who are caffeine sensitive and not to mention comes in the most charming packaging. So why not elevate your coffee experience with London New Tropics? Discover the perfect blend, find your flow and enjoy an exclusive 20% discount with the code SaturnReturns at LondonNewTropics.com. Hello everyone and welcome to Saturn Returns with me, Kagi Dunlop. This is a podcast that aims to bring clarity during transitional times where there can be confusion and doubt. She just developed this thing. She just couldn't. She's incredibly nervous to sing in public. So she made this dream plan that in her next lucid dream, she wants to basically practice singing in public in the dream. So she becomes lucid. So in the lucid dream, she starts singing. Uh, and then she starts to go up to each of the people in the pub and like sing like really close in their face, like really joyful with abandon. And she said it felt so good. And she woke up and she's like buzzing with excitement. And since then has been practicing by singing in public. So like 13 years of stage fright, she had one big lucid dream and now she can sing, sing in public again. Today, I'm joined by Charlie Morley, who has spent the last 15 years writing books and learning about lucid dreaming. It's a subject that I wanted to speak about because I'm really fascinated by dreams and I feel like we don't give them enough attention because they are actually, if you think about it, completely bizarre and hold so much wisdom. And Charlie in this episode really unpacks how we can use our dreams and work with our dreams as a way of interacting with the subconscious. Lucid dreaming is essentially the experience of achieving conscious awareness of dreaming whilst you are still asleep. And in Charlie's practice, you can actually actively then go into the dream and participate or manipulate the unfolding of things. They are most common during rapid eye movement, REM sleep, and it's a period of very deep sleep. But Charlie gets into it in this episode, and it's really interesting because we can actually use this as an amazing tool for healing and especially from his work and research in the realms of trauma. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I absolutely found it fascinating. I loved having Charlie on and I'm so glad that he came on the podcast and I hope you guys take something away from it and it starts your dream journal journey. Charlie, welcome to the Saturn Returns podcast. I'm super excited to talk to you today about a subject that I'm very fascinated by, but I I don't know a huge amount about. So for the audience that doesn't know, would you be able to introduce who you are and what you do and how you got into this work? Yeah, so first of all, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. And uh, we're going to talk about lucid dreaming. So a lucid dream is a dream where you know that you're dreaming as the dream is happening, but you stay asleep. 
Mm-hmm. So have you ever had a dream where you're you're completely sound asleep, but in the dream, like, oh, wow, this is a dream, this is a dream. And then you can choose what to do. You can change the narrative. You can fly through the sky. In fact, a lot of people, their first experience of lucid dreaming might be a nightmare. If you've ever had a nightmare where in the nightmare you go, I've got to wake up, I've got to wake up. That was actually a lucid dream too. Yeah. Because by saying I've got to wake up, you would indirectly acknowledge I'm asleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually your first little takeaway is if you ever have that again, where you become conscious in a nightmare, don't wake up. Because every time you wake yourself from a nightmare, it's like a therapy session cut short. And your brain, because it loves you, not because it's trying to punish you, but because it loves you, it will give you that nightmare again and again and again until it's integrated, like until the therapy session is complete. Anyway, so that's a lucid dream. And what I do is I've spent the last 15 years uh, writing books about lucid dreaming and sleep and trauma-affected sleep. And I go around giving workshops and retreats and talks about lucid dreaming and sleep and how did you get into that sort of because it's quite a niche subject obviously it's not a niche subject in that we all sleep we we know how foundational that is for our health and overall well-being and we all dream and actually when I've been sort of researching you and your work you realize what a weird and fascinating concept just dreaming is in itself yet we just kind of like oh yeah I had that dream about this and don't really know how to interact with the unconscious or the subconscious in that way so what led you into exploring this particular field so from really young I was always into dreams like I remember telling my mum my dreams from very young like in the car on way to school and stuff like that and sometimes I just make it up I'd just say stuff that wasn't real. And other times I would say stuff that I had dreamt. So I remember that from an early age. And then the first kind of solid memory I have that's been confirmed by my family is when I was 11 for my 12th birthday, I asked for this thing called a Nova Dreamer, which is like this, you can buy them now, not with the same brand, but uh, an electronic sleep mask that you wear when you sleep. And it's got little sensors that recognize rapid eye movement from your eyelids. And when it sees the rapid eye movement, it flashes these red lights, which are bright enough to permeate your uh, eyelids and go into your dream, but not bright enough to wake you up. Um, And I remember reading about this in the gadget section of the Sunday, whatever, Sunday Times newspaper. It's like one of those Sunday afternoons and they had this little gadget book full of stuff like mail order stuff. And that was in there. And I remember taking it to my dad and going, dad, dad, there's this mask that gives you those dreams that I have. I didn't know they were called lucid dreams. But I knew from the description that that was what I was having. Uh, And, you know, it was like $300, so I never got it. But that was the first time that I knew I acknowledged lucid dreaming and I wanted more of them. Um, And then when I was 15, then I know for sure. I just started getting interested in consciousness and um, the mind and Buddhism looked quite cool, but there were all these rules. I wasn't quite into that. Psychedelics looked easier. So that became something I was interested in. And then these books about lucid dreaming. So I started reading them and then being able to consciously induce the lucid dream state. And the lucid dream is so real. You know, it's like you gain access to this huge virtual reality simulation of your own psychology. Mm -hmm. And at a 15, 16 year old, when you gain access to this huge virtual reality world where there are no rules of society to, to live by, I got up to, you know, all sorts of mischief, mainly skateboarding and sex, which as a 15 year old were my two kind of major priorities, one so, of which I was doing a lot of, the other not so much. So, okay, I <laughs> don't need to state. delve much further to guess which one was which. But I got really good at skateboarding though. <laughs> And now there's all these studies on neuroplasticity by practicing sports in lucid dreams. So maybe I got good at that. Because I have heard about this and I think it was from you and I heard it somewhere else that actually people that were practicing fitness or something in their lucid dreams, it actually increased their physical fitness whilst they weren't actually doing it 
when yeah. they were conscious. There's actually loads of studies on that. That's one of the most uh, well-researched uh, scientific aspects of lucid dreaming because it's very easy to quantify. You basically see how many squats someone can do in the waking state. Like what's their personal best on squats or press-ups? And then you get them to have lucid dreams and you put them into the lab and you make sure that they're in the lucid dream state. In the lucid dream, they practice the athletic discipline, whether it's squats or press-ups. Or I was part of a study where you had to practice this certain martial arts kick sequence. And then in the waking state, they test you again. And you can see very clearly, do you get better at squats or do you get better at martial arts? In the study I was in, 81.3% of the practitioners got better at martial arts by training in the lucid dream which is nuts. That's nuts. Like if that was 18%, I'd still be sharing that as a cool fact. But 81.3%, that's insane. So you you touched on at the beginning what lucid dreaming Mm. is, but how do you actively firstly know, beyond knowing that you're in a lucid dream, Mm -hmm. then kind of control Mm -hmm. or get involved with what's happening in the unconscious? So the first thing to know is that lucid dreaming comes factory installed. So we've got two studies from Harvard, one from uh, Lincoln University in in the UK, actually, that has confirmed that uh, children ages six to 16 have lucid dreams frequently. Not every child every night, but it seems to be an inbuilt capacity. More than adults? Oh, way more than adults. Lucid dream frequency in adults drops off the radar. In fact, it drops off pretty much when people go into long to uh, full-time education. You know, there's this quote from Picasso. He said, every child is born an artist. The Mm -hmm. adult's job is to remember how. And I think the same with lucid dreaming. This comes factory installed. Now, some, I'd say about like one in a hundred adults, this is very unscientific, but just from 15 years of doing this, I think about one in a hundred people I meet are natural lucid dreamers. For some reason, they carried that capacity from childhood into adulthood. But for most people, the other 99 out of 100, they need to relearn how to do it. And that's my job. And it is a learnable skill. So basically, children are more inclined to have lucid dreaming. Yeah. But does that mean that they're just having dreams where they're aware that they're dreaming or they're able to actively kind of participate yeah, in what's happening? Yeah, active participation. Oh, interesting. And a lot of it comes from nightmares. Those one in a hundred people uh, who seem to be able to naturally lucid dream, again, this is unscientific. This is just based on, on my observations. Almost all of them talk about childhood nightmares. And that they were using their lucid dream ability to be able to change the outcome of those nightmares. So it seems to be that by harnessing that inbuilt faculty of lucid dreaming, if you have nightmares, that kind of uh, expediates the process Mm -hmm. uh, and leads it to be kind of more hardwired into the brain, I think. Well, you touched on it being connected with trauma and a form of therapy. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah. So, I mean, lucid dreams in and of themselves are are neutral events. They are simply any dream where you know that you're dreaming as the dream is happening. However, one of the most powerful benefits of lucid dreaming is for treatment of nightmares and more recently post-traumatic stress disorder. So using lucid dreaming to treat nightmares has been scientifically studied about as much as the sports stuff. The two big things around lucid dreaming are sports science and nightmare integration. When you say nightmare integration, do you mean as in if someone's having horrific nightmares all the time that you use lucid dreaming to stop those nightmares from happening. Yeah, so you train people to become lucid. A lot of people actually having nightmares will naturally become lucid because fear boosts our awareness. So about a third of all spontaneous lucid dreams begin as nightmares because nightmares kind of boost our fear. So we're more likely to go, oh, wait, zombies don't exist. Bam, I'm dreaming. Yeah, well, I guess it kind of makes you get those feelings as if it's happening. And then you're like, is this actually happening? Or is this a dream? Because I often get that when I don't know whether it's a dream or not. And I'm sort of 
wanting to wake up and then I think I wake up, but then I'm also still in a dream. Oh, false awakening, yeah. Yeah. And that's called the pre-lucid state where you're starting to like critically question the dream. Like, wait, this might be a dream, but you're not, you're just one step away from being fully lucid. Well, whoa, this is a dream. My body's asleep in bed. I'm in a huge three-dimensional projection of my mind and I'm safe. And that's the first thing that happens with nightmare sufferers is the first thing to do is teach them lucid dreaming. But how? How do you teach them to know that it is actually a dream? I mean, that's my job. It's a learnable skill. So meditations before bed, self-hypnosis techniques as you fall asleep, yoga nidra during the day, state checking, uh, waking up at certain points of the night, then dropping back into periods where you're most likely to have certain REM. Oh, wow. Um, so it's very specific. Yeah, very specific. Auto-suggestion techniques done in the like last two hours of the sleep cycle. What's yeah, that mean? Basically a posh word for self-hypnosis techniques. Um, like all this stuff, like lucid dreaming is an old craft, right? You find it in Tibetan Buddhism at least a thousand years. They've been practicing it um, in the Toltec Mexica tradition of ancient Mexico. Again, it goes back about a thousand years. But it's only recently been in the last 40 or 50 years that Western science has caught up. And they've developed a series of techniques, which they've given different names to, but actually you find them in all the ancient traditions and their ways of inducing lucid dreams at will. So it is a learnable skill. Because you talked about, uh, is it dream yoga? Yeah. Funny name, isn't it? What does that actually entail? Dream yoga is a direct translation of a Tibetan term, milam naljor. So milam means dream, and naljor is translated as yoga, but actually it means natural state, which I think is kind of a cool definition of yoga as well. But anyway, so milam naljor is dream yoga. And dream yoga is a series of practices found in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition that have lucid dream training at their foundation. They also include what in the West would refer to as conscious sleeping, uh, a little bit similar to like, Uh, the yoga nidra practices in the Hindu tradition and Mm -hmm. something called special dream body practice, which in the West we call astral projection. You know, like an outer body experience. Would you be able to expand on that a little bit? Yeah. So for this, my ex-wife actually is the the expert on this, Jade Shaw. She teaches astral projection. A lucid dream is you're inside your own psychology, right? You're inside your own mind. A genuine outer body experience, part of your consciousness is dislocating from the physical body and experiencing either an energy duplicate of reality or in some cases actual reality. Now lucid dreaming is like hard science. It's been like scientifically verified for almost 50 years now. Outer body experiences astral projection, uh, science still hasn't caught up with that. I thought they were bullshit to be honest. Well astral yeah. sort of projection I, I thought travel. Astral, you know if I have a lucid dream tonight and because this has been my daytime experience, I might be have a lucid dream, I'm in this room. Mm-hmm. And then because I'm lucid, oh cool, I'm gonna fly down the high street to Labrick Grove. That doesn't mean I'm astral projectioning, it means I'm having a lucid dream about flying down mm-hmm. Labrick Grove. So I'd always thought that, oh, these people, they're just kind of misinterpreting what the lucid dream yeah. is. So when I was writing my first book, which is like 10 years ago, I went to a, a um, astral projection workshop, mainly to kind of basically prove I was right. You know, yeah. and I, I was kind of sparring with the guy online before over email. You know, I think it's probably just the misinterpretation of the lucidity state, blah, blah, blah. So I had like zero faith going in. And I go to this workshop and at midday, so the middle of the day before lunchtime, I wasn't tired. I wasn't in a dream state. I wasn't in a hypnosis state. I definitely hadn't fallen for some sort of like group hypnosis that this teacher could bring me into this state. I thought it was bullshit. But we sat around in a circle in his house, actually, not dissimilar to a setup here in a, a kind of an L-shaped sofa like that. And he did a technique and he said, this technique won't give you an outer body experience. We're just practicing for what you'll do tonight as you fall asleep to allow you to, to exit your body. And we're sitting there and we do this technique. And at the end of the technique where you eject your consciousness out of your body, everything that is me left my body by about two inches. 
like not a lot, but it just went, like, it had a ripping sound, like, and we were sitting in a circle, and even my eyesight, because I could now see over the guy's head who was in front of me, my vision went up by two inches too, and boom, and then came back in with a jolt, and I freak, I, I genuinely thought he'd put something in my tea, I thought, oh shit, it's because I've been a bit rude to him online. He wants to like give, yeah. teach him a lesson. So I'm in his kitchen and I'm like, whoa, I need to get out of here. This is nuts, man. This is nuts. And he comes in, he asks me, I'm like, dude, I don't know. I don't know what's happening here. This isn't cool. Like, I was like really panicking. And then I just had to accept like it wasn't anything in the tea. I'd had an out-of-body experience with my eyes open. And also you went into it quite critically completely skeptical yeah and so i stayed the for the rest of the workshop yeah and then had another one at night because if wow. that was in the day if you do it in the hypnagogic state as you're falling asleep where your consciousness is already you know that you kind of your eyes are closed you get the nodding dog yeah thing. yeah you're on the boundary that sort of like halfway point yeah to sleep. so that boundary state is a state where like almost the glue that sticks your energy body to your physical body becomes a bit looser so that's oh. the state where you'll do the technique you taught me in the day which so was I, what it's basically uh, you, you kind of move energy up and down your body, up and down your body, up and you're faster, 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 faster. You're sort of launching it. Yes. And you kind of launch out the top of your head or you imagine launching out the top of your head. Wow. But when I first did it, it worked. Do you think the fact that you'd done all this work around lucid dreaming helped? Maybe. And maybe some of the Buddhist practices around the energy body and stuff like that. Maybe I had like kind of a looseness in my subtle body or, or an awareness of the subtle body that helps. Um, but anyway, long story short, I then had to go back and rewrite the chapter on outer body experiences in my first book, referencing this and going like, look guys, I don't know how this works and science still hasn't backed it up. But I've had like, at that time I'd had, I don't know, like 500 uh, intentional lucid dreams. So I knew what a lucid dream was. Mm-hmm. And those experiences were not That's lucid not dreams. Don't know what they were, but they were not lucid dreams. Pausing this for a moment because I've got something exciting to share. Today's episode is brought to you by London Nootropics, the masters of crafting adaptogenic coffee blends that don't just taste heavenly, but they also boost your energy the right way. Now we all love that zesty kick from caffeine. It snaps us awake by outsmarting those sleepy adenosine receptors in our brain. But here's the kicker. Caffeine can hike up our cortisol, giving us the jitters or anxiety, particularly if you're like me and caffeine sensitive. But that's where the magic of adaptogen steps in. These natural heroes level out our cortisol, smoothing the energy boost from caffeine without the downsides. Plus, while caffeine tends to rush in and fade away, leaving you crashing, adaptogens extend that energy, keeping you vibrant without reaching for another cup. So if you want to find your most productive self with Lion's Mane and Rhodiola in their flow blend, Cordyceps in Mojo is known to increase our aerobic capacity, oxygen flow and boost ATP. So it's perfect before a run or workout or when you're feeling fatigued. So if you're intrigued and you want to dive deeper into their blend secrets and discover which adaptogens sync with you, try visiting their website. And because you're part of the Saturn Returns family, enjoy a special 20% off at London Nootropics Adaptogenic Coffee with the code Saturn Returns. Enjoy. And how does sort of psychedelics play into this stuff? Because is that a way that people can access those sort of realms or that separation in a different capacity? Or Yeah, I think the psych- there's a lot of crossover between the uh, kind of movement in psychedelic therapy and lucid dreaming. A lot of the same benefits. 
working mm. with post-traumatic stress disorder actually we didn't we didn't kind of go into that but yeah working with post-traumatic stress disorder uh healing of childhood trauma and working with depression all of the things that you know ketamine assisted therapy and psilocybin assisted therapy are now working with lucid dreaming is brilliant for that too and actually i've done a few workshops for the psychedelic society to help prepare people for the psychedelic journey Mm -hmm. Because no one knows the difference between hallucination and reality better than the lucid dreamer. Our mm -hmm. entire craft is based on knowing the difference. So if you're about to take something that's going to make you have big hallucinations, training in lucid dreaming is a really good grounding practice. If you hear about people having bad trips, whatever that means. It's just that they don't know it's how It's often to... that they think it's real. Yeah. They think there's actually a demon there rather than, ah, oh, no, the psychedelic is creating control... a projection of my yeah. own trauma into this form of a what seems very much like a demon. Mm -hmm. And that externalization is what leads to these bad trips. So lucid dreaming is a great preparation for that. Which and is I probably would say... quite important for because it's obviously become quite a popular thing, psychedelics. Yeah. And for people to actually have the preparation because I do fear that people are just going into it without any kind of grounding or doing any form of therapy and it it's no joke yeah and of course i prefer lucid dreaming i think you know it's free it's non-addictive it's non-invasive you can't overdose on it but it does take a while yeah you know if you give me an hour with 100 people to teach them lucid dreaming that night i don't know maybe 30 of them might have a, a lucid dream experience or 10 of them that night and 30 of them within the next week might have a lucid dream experience I think that's pretty good though. pretty good but if you give me 100 people and I give all 100 people a dose of psilocybin, yeah. within one hour, 100 people will have an experience. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> so true. I absolutely see the great benefit of working with psychedelics with a qualified therapist. But I think for kind of a long-term use, lucid dreaming is great because yeah. you do it by yourself. It's free. You can do it every night. And we didn't really get into the sort of trauma yes. element. So could we kind of touch on that a sure. bit more? Yeah. So loads of studies on using lucid dreaming to treat nightmares. You train people to become lucid in the nightmares and then either they can first of all wake up, uh, which is okay, but it's not long-term. Secondly, you teach them to become lucid and to stay in the nightmare. So know, mm -hmm. oh, I'm not really back in the car crash. I'm simply dreaming I'm back in the car crash. This is all internal therapy session in the same way as my therapist might ask me, tell me what happened in the car crash. My mind is showing me what happened as a way to integrate. And if I can stay in this dream and witness it, the integration will be complete. However, there had never been a trial to see, could lucid dreaming treat not only nightmares, but the waking state symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder, mm -hmm. symptoms such as panic attacks, anxiety, depression, flashbacks. And also you, you've talked about how, you know, the nightmares are the ones that are the ones that are usually not only repeated, but also lucid dreams. They can be, yeah. What is the nightmare a demonstration of that we aren't acknowledging in the sort of Western world enough, if yeah, that makes a sense. A nightmare is a dream that's shouting. A nightmare is a dream that is drawing your attention to a wounded part of the psyche. Exactly the same as pain works. Yeah. You know, when I walk past something and I hit my elbow, the pain is sending a message to my brain saying, you've wounded your elbow and now I can apply healing techniques like rubbing it or, you know, applying a plaster or something. The nightmare is doing the same thing. It's drawing our attention to a wounded part of the psyche. And the nightmare itself is a manifestation of healing. So let's say I cut my elbow. What would happen? Blood would coagulate and a scab would form. What mm -hmm. is a scab? It's a protective layer that forms over the wound to allow healing to occur beneath the surface. That is exactly the definition of a nightmare. It's a manifestation of healing that creates a protective barrier over the wounded psyche to allow healing to occur beneath the surface. And yet we try and get rid of them 
we use nightmare as a pejorative term. You know, my journey here today, I could have walked in and go, oh, bloody nightmare journey, you know? Yeah. And yet nightmares are so good. So first of all, we need to completely reframe what nightmares are. That nightmares are healing. Oh, so healing. In almost all cases, nightmares are trying to help. But I think because we don't have the language or understanding of them, and also they're usually metaphorical, that it, it's hard to kind of create that dialogue, so to speak, yeah. between your waking state and the nightmare. Yes. Because I have... um you know, recurring dreams that, or nightmares that I know are trying to tell me something, but I haven't got the tools to unpack them. And they've kind of gone on for years and they're almost like <clears throat> identical and I have them every week. Such a good lead in for lucid dreaming. The tool you need is lucid dreaming. In but like, lucid... And I do know, so, like I have that thing where I'm on the precipice of lucid dreaming and I'm like, I think this is a dream. Oh, yeah. I think this if is you can get lucid in those nightmares, especially if they're recurring one lucid dream, the nightmares will stop. I mean, it's very, very direct. We have hard science on this. You talked about the, you know, uh, dialoguing or being able to communicate. The lucid dream is a direct dialogue with your unconscious mind. If every dream or nightmare we have is like a letter written by the unconscious mind to us, trying to give us information or inform us of stuff, sometimes the letter is actually just like, ah, oh, this happened today. No, it's not always yeah. greatly meaningful. If we can get lucid in our dream, it's like meeting the letter writer. It's as if we walk into the office when the, the dreaming mind's writing the letter and they're like, dude, I was just writing to you. Yeah. But now I've you're here. I've written to you 50,000 yes. times. <laughs> exactly. But now you're here, let's talk. You know, imagine that. Well, well, also, like you say, it's like, oh, well, that was horrible. Yeah. You wake up because I often, and to kind of just share, because I, you know, I don't have any problem with being honest about this stuff. But my one is always around drinking. So I used to drink a lot when mm -hmm. I was in my early 20s. And then I guess struggled with it a bit and then stopped drinking and went sober for a while and now I kind of use the term sober curious like I can drink a little bit every term. so often but generally speaking it doesn't agree yeah. with me but I get these dreams that I always I kind of communicate it that it's my subconscious just giving me a bit of a warning yeah. and it, the repeating thing will be that I'm in a situation where I suddenly wake up mm -hmm. but I'm in the dream and I've don't know what's happened and I've basically made a choice to drink mm. and it's gone really wrong and I've like ruined my whole life and maybe I've woken up in a different country and it's yeah. it's quite traumatizing yeah. to be honest because when I wake up I call it like a phantom hangover like I'm like yeah. did I do that did those things happen and for at least hot like the morning I will feel a bit like oh my god oh my god oh my yeah. god did that happen and I have them probably every week mm. and it's basically the same obviously the details are different but it's exactly the same kind of formula mm. and I've had them for years and years mm. and years and whilst it's useful to a degree because I'm like okay I get it like I, I don't want to do that anymore I don't want to kind of have that feeling of being out of control I want to be able to work with those nightmares mm. to have a deeper understanding of what's trying to heal or come through mm. Can I offer some unsolicited advice? 100%. Just checking. Okay. So first thing I'd say is write those nightmares down. Mm -hmm. So we got really good study from, uh, I think it was Swansea University. They found that every time you have a dream, even if you don't remember it, you wake up with the corresponding neurochemicals of that dream still in the body. So let's say you've been having a really anxious dream. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes you wake up in the morning and you just feel a bit off. Yeah. It's and you don't even necessarily you don't even know, know why. why. Yeah, it's probably you've had an anxiety dream, which you've forgotten or haven't remembered. 
but the anxiety chemicals are still in the bloodstream. They're still floating through the body. So they did a study where, first of all, they trained people to remember their dreams, which is the first step of lucid dreaming. Then they got them to either keep a dream diary, write down their dreams, or speak their dreams out loud to their partner. And they found that people who did that, the act of writing down the dream or speaking the dream out loud, in their words, discharged the underlying emotional energy of the dream from the body leading to increased levels of mental well-being. So basically, writing down your dreams is good for you because it kind of flushes out that stuff, especially writing down your nightmares. Because mm-hmm. I know that feeling where the nightmare hangs around till like lunchtime. You're yeah. like, oh, it's still here, that memory. Writing it down, drawing a picture of it, speaking it out loud to a trusted friend or, or, or um, you know, therapist, that's a really good first step. Yeah. And then the second thing is lucid dreaming. Like if you can get lucid in one of those nightmares, and actually you could become lucid and say, what do you represent? Or what do I need to integrate this nightmare? It sounds mm-hmm. so simple that you could do that, but you literally can. And if you do that, it's so crazy how the dream responds. Sometimes like a voice from God, it's like an intercom system in your voice. And it'll say like, you need to do this. Or like, there's a problem from your childhood. You're like, who said that? This is wow. nuts. Or in other terms, a dream character will come up to you and they'll literally give you advice. They will tell you what you need to do. And whatever appears, I say, hug them. You know, what could be more symbolic of love and acceptance than the hug? So mm. if ever you're in a nightmare or a scary dream, you do become lucid. Yes, you could ask what you represent. But probably even before you ask that, just hug everything. Because what is a nightmare? It's a wounded part of our psyche and where the wounds come from, lack of love. The best way to heal our internal wounds is love. So yeah. if we can like hug everything in the psyche. Yeah, because I think if they do induce a feeling of shame or guilt, naturally, as we do, we want to kind of suppress that yeah. and bury it down, yeah. not open it up more. So I have heard that technique that also, you know, writing a sort of dream journal, that it's a way as well of opening up the dialogue, even Absolutely. if you haven't Absolutely. haven't mastered lucid dreaming, you're still going to the subconscious, I'm ready for the next part, the next yes. chapter. Yeah, so like... I did script writing, right, at uni. That was my, like, thing, like, writing plays. And I think there's an internal part of my mind, the, the dreamer, I call it, with a big D, that every night is writing these amazing plays, these amazing, like, Hollywood movies, right? And when we don't write down the movie, it's as if there's no one in the audience. And that script writer, think how, like, demoralizing that must be for the internal script writer. When you start writing down your dreams, it's at least like someone's reviewing the play. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, someone was in the audience last night. They were they were listening. And a lucid dream is like that audience member getting up on stage. It then becomes like an interactive dance here. So it's such a good step if you can do that. And also just a great, a great window into your mind. Mm-hmm. People, myself included, spend a lot of money each week going to a therapist and saying, what's going on in here, doc? Yeah, you want to know what's going on in there? Look at your dreams. Mm-hmm. You know, every night your dreaming mind is reflecting the internal environment of your psyche. You want to know what's going on in there? Look at your mind. You know, who are you secretly in love with? Uh, what childhood traumas are still getting you down? What conversation that you had two weeks ago, which you thought was totally cool, do you keep coming up in your dreams? Because it wasn't cool. There was yeah. something there that actually was really triggering. All of that information is in, in the dreams. But Nothing, we do yeah. need to remember them and write them down. Because we can't hide from ourselves oh, or tell ourselves. You can't ourselves. hide from your dreams. They're very, very honest. Yeah. And the other thing I wanted to talk to you about was premonitions in dreams so Mm -hmm. that's something that I've had my whole life but they're nothing very exciting so that I'll I'll have like a dream about something and then the next day someone will say the exact thing Mm. that they said in my dream and then suddenly I'm like oh my god or just little things will kind of happen but it's nothing that's like like I said it's not 
big world events or anything mm. like that. What's your understanding of that? Because obviously that, that ties into the sort of astral travel and the sort of concept of, of time because it's like, okay, it feels like in our dreams we have the capacity to pierce through time. Mm. Um, I think there are way more people who are having prophetic dreams, dreams of the future, than know it because they're not writing down their dreams and not remembering their dreams. Mm -hmm. I've seen so many people, trusted, trusted people, no way they're trying to impress me, no way they're trying to get anything from it, who have shown me valid prophetic dreams. And on these lucid dreaming retreats we run, I'm with them for four days. So I've, I, I've seen it written down and then mm -hmm. it happens. I'm like, whoa, that, that one was for real. So how they happen, I don't know. Why they happen, I don't know. But I know they do happen. You know, Carl Jung was asked about this. He had a really interesting theory on this. He said it's less premonition and more preparation. Mm. He described the unconscious mind taking in so much data that the unconscious mind isn't taking in, that it has, uh, he didn't use this term, but I'll use it on his behalf, uh, it can create almost an algorithm of future possibility based on these huge amounts of data, which most of the time it gets wrong, but some of the time it does get right. And he used an example of, let's say uh, tonight you have a dream that two close friends of yours get married in one year from now. And then six months from now, you, re you hear they're getting engaged and one year later they get married. You think, wow, that's a prophetic dream. That's amazing. Was I like connected to their mind streams? What was it? He would say, although your conscious mind didn't notice it, your unconscious mind noticed that there was a shared touch between those two friends that uh, maybe on the WhatsApp group, they were connecting more than usual. All these little details that your unconscious mind is picking up, your conscious mind isn't, put together into a possibility of, they'd actually be quite a good couple. They're both similar age. They're both just out of a relationship. They both want to get married. Maybe. So the dream will present you with this maybe. And sometimes that maybe comes true. So he would say that it's less about psychic capacity and more about the huge capacity of the unconscious mind to make predictions about future events. And that's yeah. pretty cool because we know from like hypnosis studies in fMRI scanners, you get people in hypnosis in a brain scanner. By the way, hypnosis is real now. That old thing in the 80s of like stage hypnosis, they're all making it up. No, no. Hypnosis has now been neuroscientifically demonstrated. And the studies they did, I mean, they did one where they put someone into a brain scanner and they basically hurt them. They applied pain to the arm, uh, but they had been hypnotized to feel that there was no, uh, the arm was uh, completely numb. And not only did they not respond to the pain, but their brain wasn't registering the pain. So mm -hmm. we know hypnosis is real now. That's like the cards are in for that. Um, and we also know through hypnosis that if in a few months time I was put in a hypnotic trance, I would be able to tell you exactly the position of all of these paintings on your wall, exactly what you're wearing, what my friend here is wearing, even though consciously I would have forgotten, right? Yeah. Because the unconscious is this huge It's picking up hard all this data, yeah. Yeah. So... That's one thing, uh, one possibility of prophetic dreams. I mean, I asked a Buddhist Lama about this once and I thought he didn't understand the question. So I went, I was asking about like deja vu and prophetic dreams and stuff. And I went, you know, like where time, where it feels like you've been in one time and he just looked at me and went, time? <laughs> like as if <laughs> you still think time works? Dude, I don't know where to begin. <laughs> and I thought, wow, yeah, I'm really out of my depth here. So who knows? I love yeah. that. Oh, uh, sorry. I keep on wanting to mention the trauma study. So... Loads of science on the nightmare stuff. That's been done. But could we use it to treat waking state PTSD? Yeah. Kind of a crazy idea. But this uh, science organization in America called the Institute of Noetic Sciences wanted to see if we could do it. So part of this study, we get a group of 55 people, all of whom have chronic PTSD. To get onto the study, you have to have chronic or treatment-resistant post-traumatic stress disorder. 
I've had a, done a lot of work with British military veterans and the Ministry of Defence, actually, on helping people with traumatised sleep patterns through mm -hmm. lucid dreaming, but also through breath work and deep relaxation and, and stuff like that. But I've never worked with a group where we got 100% PTSD. So the night before the study, the funder sent me a, a WhatsApp message saying, you know, how many lucid dreams do you think we're going to get on this study? And I was like, maybe none. Yeah, Maybe we'll just, just spend the week know. helping people relax. Maybe they yeah. won't be able to sleep at all. The nightmares will be so bad. Anyway, in the end, it was quite the opposite. I realized that when you get a group together, all of whom are not in the same boat, no one's in the same boat, but we can be in the same storm. And those who know trauma know that storm. And there was something about that group being together in the same storm. Many of them were veterans. Many of them were people with childhood sexual abuse. Many people had complex post-traumatic stress disorder, not just single event PTSD. So I had a week with them to teach them lucid dreaming, but everyone had the same dream plan, which is your intention where you decide what to do in your first or next lucid dream. And it was to face and embrace an aspect of their fear, trauma, or anxiety. So some people were becoming lucid and calling out, anxiety, come to me. And then whatever appeared, they were embracing and showing love. Other people were becoming lucid in recurring nightmares about being back in war zones, but in their lucid state, then you wait, I'm not really back in Iraq. I'm just dreaming I'm back in Iraq. Nothing can hurt me. And they could either turn the bullets into flowers, as one person once did when they're in a gunfight, or another person, even more kind of beneficial, was they just let the bullets come. They knew, wait, this is just a dream. Mm -hmm. Nothing can hurt me. And at the beginning of the week, we were checking their PTSD score using the DSM-5 self-report model for any medical people listening. It's basically the standard where you, you check people's PTSD levels. And the score was high. The average was way above the, the threshold. By the end of the week, we took their PTSD score again and the nightmare experience scale again and nightmares were had completely dropped off. But also the average PTSD score was so low at the end of the seven-day study, it was beneath the threshold. And then they checked the data again and they were like, wait, we were over 80% of people who are beneath the threshold. And I, what does that mean? And they went, it means they don't have PTSD anymore. Wow. And I was, I was actually the first one to go, you need to check it again. Like I, yeah. almost, almost incredible, almost unbelievable. So they, uh, they double checked it, then they triple checked it. So we think this is amazing. Well, this is like a breakthrough study. Everyone's going to want to publish this. And we couldn't get it published. They didn't dispute the results, but they just said, yeah, it's not for us. Why? Because the study had never been done before. It's kind of insane. There's no, there's no medicine that can reduce PTSD scores the way lucid dreaming did. So no wonder they didn't touch it. Mm. But the scientific establishment did hear about the results even though we weren't published so we got funding to do the same study again but this time a hundred person randomized control study which is like the gold standard right because the first one was just a pilot and once we completed the hundred person randomized control and crucially got similar results then suddenly people wanted to publish it so we did manage to get it published in the journal of traumatology in june 2023 so people can google that they can see the study oh wow that's incredible yeah so we can say without doubt now lucid dreaming is one of the most powerful interventions for post traumatic stress disorder currently available it's non-invasive it's non-medical it's non-addictive it's free you do it in your sleep it's fun it almost sounds too good to be true there is a lot of effort you need to like you know all those things i said the self-hypnosis the meditations the waking up at certain points in the night but it's well worth it how many times do you have to wake up in the night so on the lucid dreaming retreats i do people have an option to kind of sleep in their room, let's say we go to bed at 10.30 or something like that. You can either just sleep all the way through in your room or from 10.30 to 3.30, you sleep in your room. Then at 3.30, you wake up and you enter the sacred sleeping area where people have bed number two and there's me as your human alarm clock. And I drop you back into sleep and then 90 minutes later, I wake you, 
drop you back in the sleep. We do that four times a night. Now, I'm not saying we do that for four nights straight for four times a night. It's very grumpy. Yeah. So we don't do, but you get loads of sleep because the next day we have napping time. Although I'm now thinking like, because my boyfriend snores, I'm like, can I use that as my way to start lucid dreaming? dreaming. Great. Yeah. So I wouldn't advise that. That's just what we do on these retreats. They're like lucid dreaming boot camp. You just do it for a short period to kind of taste the chocolate. And then you maybe do that once a week or something like that. So that's not a long-term thing. It's just when we're teaching the practice. Because if you fall asleep once and wake up once in the morning, you've got one chance to get lucid. Some crazy guy wakes you up four times a night, you've just quadrupled your chances of success. Right. And for people that, you know, are kind of fascinated about it, because I know some people say that they don't dream. Yeah, I get that a lot. Which I find absolutely bizarre but what's that about and it's just totally untrue there's no way to stop the human brain from dreaming other than a heavy head injury or a stroke or can it be um prescription drugs interfere interfere with REM cycle but won't stop you dreaming if you stop someone dreaming they're moving to psychosis it was actually used as one of the uh, uh tortures in Guantanamo Bay they call it sleep torture it wasn't actually sleep torture they were allowing them to sleep but they were timing their REM periods and when they're about to go into dream they were waking them up famously oh, playing the like really loud heavy metal music and the stuff yeah. that was in that movie men who stare at goats because if you take someone's dreams from them they move into psychosis very quickly and of course they will sign anything yes i did do this or yes yeah. i am this um so no you're definitely dreaming everyone dreams every night as long as you're asleep there's no way to stop the human brain from dreaming the only thing is people don't remember it and the thing is if they've told themselves i don't dream that creates an internal memory block so they won't remember their dreams so often people just hearing this and then googling it to check oh yeah, guy's right, you really do dream every night, suddenly they start remembering their dreams. Because yeah. it wasn't that they weren't dreaming, it was that they created a mental block that prevented them from remembering their dreams. That's interesting. And the other thing before we kind of wrap up, we touched on this, or you did at the beginning, and I wanted to circle back to yeah. it, was about the education system and how that plays a role in stopping people from lucid dreaming. If you look at a child who's playing all day, they're constantly in a right brain dominance. Yes. You know, they're, they're, create, they're also kind of hallucinating with their eyes open. Oh, there's my, my yeah. toys they have playing no, with each other. They have no awareness that that's, it's not actually happening. Yeah. So no wonder when they dream, they have the same access to be aware of the fact that they're playing these, these characters. Yeah. Uh, how can I back that up with any evidence? Video gamers. Like hardcore video gamers who are playing between four and six hours of video gaming a okay. day have loads of spontaneous lucid dreams because they're spending a large amount of their day inhabiting an avatar, knowing that they're really here, but they're inhabiting an avatar, just like lucid dreaming. You see yourself in the dream, but you know that you're dreaming yourself in the dream. So unfortunately for any parents watching or, or adults, uh, video gaming is actually really good for lucid dreaming. Just, However, they also did another... has other <laughs> consequences yeah. for the rest They did of another study, though, on children. They found uh, not just video gaming increased levels of lucidity in both kids and adults, but in children, especially reading fiction, uh, mm. increased levels of lucid dreaming. Because if the child is spending, you know, three hours a day reading Harry Potter and embodying the characters, doing their voices, world, immersed yeah. in that world, they're more likely to dream in a similar way. Kids are imagining all the time what happens when we put them into full-time education. We move from the right brain dominance of childhood to the left brain dominance of learning and adulthood. Yeah. And um, more linear ways of yeah. thinking. And again, kids I've seen who go to like Steiner schools and stuff like that, they seem to keep that lucid dream ability way more. There are a lot more of the one in a hundreds who went to Steiner schools and who go to yeah. mainstream schools. So again, that supports this theory that I have here. And dreams obviously are 
just very creative. Mm, so creative. How can we use dreams to access more of our creativity? Mm. There's a there's a, a lovely moment that I sometimes have where people go like, they might say they're not creative to me. We're having a conversation. Oh, I'm not creative. I'm not artistic. Mm. I say, tell me a dream. Literally tell me any dream you had, the most boring one. Oh, I had this really boring dream. I was walking down the street in London. Okay, you designed the costumes for that. You did the lighting. You were playing every person on the street. You were the concrete. You were the person walking down. You tell me you're not creative. Mm. You know, any dream reveals the infinite creativity of the human mind. And a great way to access our creativity is to look at our dreams because it's like a biofeedback mechanism. It's a two-way form of communication. People often say, and this happens a lot, this happens about once a month, uh, oh, I don't write down my dreams, they're, they're really boring. And I'm like, dude, your dreams are so boring because you don't write them down. Mm-hmm. Like, again, think of that internal script writer. If no one's in the audience, if no one's reviewing the play, another play, yeah, he's going to play really boring plays. But if suddenly you're in there in the audience, the script writer is going to be like, oh, wow, okay, I've got an audience, showtime daddy issues, sexuality <laughs> stuff, you know, stuff from jail, all this stuff. So if you want big themes in your dreams, if you want to have like really kind of these big creative dreams that maybe uh, your friends here that you have and they think, oh, I wish I had dreams like Kagi has, then you start writing down your dreams. Let mm-hmm. the dreamer know you're listening. If you let your dreamer know that, your dreams will respond. And also there's interesting studies. They show that people who ingest more complex narratives have more complex dreams. So basically, if you watch, uh, if you go to a theater a lot, or you watch a lot of cinema, or you read a lot of fiction novels, your dreamer kind of learns yeah. narrative devices. You ever had it where right at the end of the dream, you like find out who the murderer is, and you think, wow, my dream was so cool. It kind of timed it just before the alarm clock. Oh, I found out who the murderer was. You want more dreams like that? Ingest more narratives like that. Yeah, so be aware of the sort of content that you're consuming. Yeah, same with horror movies, dude. Yeah, I, I wanted to also share, I, <laughs> last night, I think because I knew I was having this interview, yeah. I was like quite aware of what I was going to dream or trying yeah. to be. And I had something that I never had before, which was that I often, when I'm like struggling to make a decision about something, yeah. I ask my dream. So I'm Brilliant. like, okay, please tell me what I need to do, like help me with the decision. And often it tells me something that I don't want to hear and then I don't listen to it. But last night I was like, okay, I wanted it to tell me something. And I've never had this, but it was like I could see someone trying to write. Wow. And it was like writing like a name and then numbers. And I was like, okay, I I think I can read. But it was like like a child trying to write. And I was like, I can't really understand what you're saying. But I remember bits of it. And I'm like, wow, that was was wild. You are so primed for lucid dreaming. Like if you start doing some of the like direct techniques, you're going to get lucid. I'm I'm all over this. After this, I'm gonna I'm definitely gonna be taking you up on like okay, what is my practice going to so be? Cool. So the technique you did yesterday is called dream incubation. This is where you kind of use the the creativity of the dream mind to answer a question, and you can use either the dream or you can use the hypnagogic state. You know that kind of dozy state I talked about. You know, famous the two most famous people, Dali. Dali used to kind of have these afternoon naps where he would lie on the chaise longue. And he would hold a spoon, a silver spoon in his hand, balancing on the edge of a champagne glass. And when he moved from the drowsy hypnagogic into the sleep paralysis of dream, he would drop the spoon, smash the glass and wake him up. And he would then draw what he was seeing in that in-between state. And that led to his paintings. Of course, the dude like had quite a lot of opium as well. So I think it's a bit of give and take, right? (laughs) <laughs> that is other, so fascinating yeah. and the other person was edison the guy who invented the commercially available light bulb yeah. he claimed that well he he claimed that he found that in the hypnagogic but what he would do was he would sit on an armchair holding metal ball bearings 
uh, and he'd be in the armchair like that and then drift into the hypnagogic where it's all these creative things, seeing the blueprints for his ideas. And then when he slipped into full sleep, which he wasn't interested in, weirdly, he wasn't a lucid dreamer, he would drop the ball bearing that wake him up and he'd jot down his things. I love this. Yeah. So even if it's not full dream, you can work with a hypnagogic, you can work with non-lucid dreamers you were working with last night, and you can work with lucid dreams. And I wouldn't say lucid dream is better than any other form of dreaming. Yeah. You know, even if you get lucid every night of the week, still 95% of your dream experience will be non-lucid, even if you're lucid every night, because okay. that's based on eight hour cycle, five dream periods a night, multiple dreams each, each dream period. So we don't want to think that like, oh, lucid dreams are the best and non-lucid dreams are a waste of time, because then we're like rejecting 95% yeah. of our experience. We want to use all, all aspects of, of sleep and dream for our spiritual development. And the final thing I wanted to ask you about is dreams that are very common dreams that yeah. people have that are that they're flying or that they're I mean I have one where I'm like almost flying and often I have <laughs> often I have a plastic bag a, like a parachute thing flying. amazing and then what what happens is it's like I realize I'm flying but then when I stop believing that I can fly yes. I start dropping and then I'm like believe me <laughs> That's such a good example. So I hear people's flying dreams a lot. And usually in workshops, you might see me on, on other videos say this. I say, oh, there's three main types of flyer. There's the Superman flyer. There's the swim flyer. People kind of swim through the air. Yeah. And there's the jumpers. People kind of get yeah, I've had, jump. Yeah. I'm now going to add a fourth category, <laughs> which is the Sainsbury's shopping bag parachute flyer. Which it's, is not, gonna be your... it's not specifically Sainsbury's, but it is a oh, plastic Eddie, bag. There are other supermarkets available. Okay, I see. Guys, you can use whatever. In the Buddhist tradition, yeah. there, there isn't actually a lot of dream interpretation in, in Buddhism. It's mainly about becoming lucid and then you can interpret the dream while you're in it, right? But there are there is a little bit of dream interpretation. And one of the main things they say is flying dreams are indicative of someone with a lot of chi. Like your prana, your chi, your inner life force is going up. So flying dreams are said to be very positive. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's one amazing thing. The other thing is, isn't it cool how when you had a moment of doubt... You stop flying. What a metaphor for life. What a metaphor. Where we're flying, then we have a moment of doubt, and it's like, believe, 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 right? Yeah. Have you ever had the teeth falling out one? That's a really yes, common but one. not that common. But yeah, I have yeah. had it. Okay, I'm, I'm glad it's not that common for you because it's often. I mean, these uh, dream workshops. I was recently counting out, uh, counting up uh, how many countries I'd, I'd taught in. And it's just under. It's like 29 countries. And I realized everywhere from like Monaco to Mexico to Zimbabwe to Canada, all these places. Same dreams. Same, uh, same themes. Same themes. Yeah, same themes, not same dreams. And the teeth falling out one is pretty universal. What is it usually The about? teeth falling out, again, you can never interpret someone's dream. It's so personal to them. But there are certain dreams where the themes are so universal, they become almost archetypal. So you're tapping into some kind of archetypal energy, transpersonal, not just personal. If I were to take your teeth from you, many things would be limited. Your ability to eat, to feed yourself, to gain nourishment, and your ability to fight. Now, we don't think this, but when we were monkeys, monkeys don't punch, they bite. So losing your dreams of losing your teeth are losing your ability to protect yourself and losing your ability to feed yourself. Mm -hmm. So I was going through something that absolutely was challenging my ability to protect myself emotionally. And I had this dream that my teeth were falling out. 
Um, so I was like, oh God, wow, I've had the like classic dream. This is so cool. So again, I wrote it down to discharge it from my system. I then made a dream plan to deal with that situation that I'm ha- go- still kind of going through in life. And what is the third most common, if there is a third most common? Um, flying ones, teeth falling out. Oh, naked in public. Probably the classic one of like people being naked in public, which is about exposure. I've never had that. But I do have it about perform, and this is a, I um I used to do music, mm. and I would perform. Yeah, but I had really bad performance anxiety, ah. and I still have these dreams that I'm supposed to perform, and I'm not prepared. Kind of, I guess, like when people, and I often have it when I'm at university or something, and I realize, oh yeah, before the exam, yeah, that I've like never that. gone yeah. to a single class of like one of my subjects, and there's no way that I'm going to pass That's it. That's pretty common. Yeah. yeah. In fact, and in my new book, one of the case studies is a woman who worked specifically with stage fright uh, through her lucid dreams. So Ooh. she used to be a singer, and then about 13 years ago, she just developed this thing. She just couldn't. She just in, incredibly nervous to sing in public. Yeah. So she made this dream plan that in her next lucid dream, she wants to basically practice singing in public in the dream, knowing that what you do in the lucid dream creates these neural pathways that affect your waking state. So she becomes lucid, and she's in a pub, and she thinks actually this is a perfect place. So in the lucid dream, she starts singing. Uh, and then she starts to go up to each of the people in the pub and like sing like really close in their face, like really joyful with abandon. And she said it felt so good. And she woke up and she's like buzzing with excitement. And then a couple of weeks later, one of the like WhatsApp group things from her school put out this call. Would any of the parents be willing to sing in the Christmas um, thing that was coming up? Um, and she signed up to do it. And she said there's just no residual nerves. Like she feels totally prepared to do it. She's totally ready to do it and is excited to do it. And since then has been practicing by singing in public. So like 13 years of stage fright. She had one big lucid dream and now she can sing sing in public again. So you can really use this for anything. Yeah. I mean, people use it for nicotine addiction. Oh, amazing. Again, in in the new book, it's actually a second edition of my first book, Dreams of Awakening, that comes out in... um, in summer and this guy uh, Matt Humphreys did amazing work with depression mm-hmm. he had like 15 years of treatment resistant depression and he became lucid and in the lucid dream he asked show me the source of my depression which any therapist know is really the core if you can find what's called the core wound or the original yeah. wound you're, you've got a very good job unraveling the trauma there so he called out what's the source of my depression and his grandmother appeared and he was like what's my grandma got to do with my depression and then in the dream, he had the, the light bulb moment. He was like, oh, my God, the guilt. So his grandma died when he was 10 years old of Alzheimer's. And he said he just never wanted to visit her. The care home was smelly and he didn't know what to say to her. And it's kind of scary that she couldn't remember who he was. So he just never went. And after she died, he remembered feeling really guilty and like not being able to grieve properly, not being able to let it go. And he'd never really connected that that was the source yeah. of it all. But he realized, yeah, it was actually a few months, uh, a few years later that everything started happening. So in the dream, he has this light bulb moment. Then he confirms it in the dream, says, wait, is this the source of my depression? Is it about the guilt about his grandma's yeah. name? And then as he did that, his grandma, who in the lucid dream was all like with Alzheimer's, all like shaking, went and became healthy again, which he thought, and I totally agree, was like the dream saying, yes, like you've got it. So then in the dream, he hugs her and then everything dissolves into light and he wakes up. And um, within a couple of weeks, he was off his meds. He was out of therapy. And then two years later, he emailed me because on a podcast, he had heard me say, oh, we shouldn't jump to any conclusions about lucid dream healing. So he said, I wanted to wait two years so you can put it in your next book and say two years he's been without depression. 
That's um, amazing. And yeah, two years. So he had like 15 years of depression and then one lucid dream. Uh, he was able to then move off his meds and out of therapy. That's fantastic. So amazing stuff you can do with this. Oh, I, I love this so much. I think this is going to be so helpful for our listeners. Yeah, so I think it thank is. You. It's helpful. It's free. You do it yourself. There's no guru to worship. There's no cult to be part of. There's no medicine you take. Yeah. You learn these techniques, whether from me or someone else or free off the internet. You do them and you gain access to the most powerful healing modality, one of the most powerful healing modalities in existence. And you do it in bed. That's cool. That is cool. <laughs> Charlie, thank you so, oh, so much. Oh, thank you. What a fun chat. What a fun chat. I could talk to you all day, but thank and you I for you. joining Thank us. you so much. You know, it's interesting after listening back to this conversation because I have just started doing hypnosis. And when you are being hypnotized you fall into this sort of slight dreamlike state when you're in between and I almost find myself kind of semi nodding off sometimes and I guess what Charlie's talking about is the power of that sort of transitional period and how we can use it and how it's a really potent time for you know intentions of, of what we want our dreams to answer or what we want them to tell us and so yeah I just found this really really quite a funny conversation I hope you enjoyed my my story about my dreams and the flying plastic bag um it sounds so ridiculous but yeah if you did enjoy this I would love it if you could share it with a friend you think might find it useful or share it on social media because I always love seeing that and it helps us get discovered by more like-minded people and if you don't follow the show already please 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 hit the follow button because that helps us get more amazing guests like Charlie and allows us to expand and reach new people. So as always, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you for listening and remember, you are not alone. Goodbye. <laughs>